Salt Company, how we doing? Nice. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Daniel chapter 3. If you have your cell phone, you can turn it on to Daniel chapter 3. My name is Austin Claver, and I'm currently helping direct the newest and the coolest salt company in Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah, give it up. And we just finished our first ever fall retreat this past weekend, and it was sweet. This is a picture of our group. Yeah. Two dozen people in Dubuque, Iowa, coming to worship the Lord, and we're going to see what he does through a bunch of ordinary people with an extraordinary Lord. And it was a big weekend for myself also uh, for a couple reasons. One, I got over my biggest fear in life, and two... I found out what true glory looks like. So here's the scene. We competed in ultimate everything. Two teams, football, you, you got a basketball, you got tennis balls. You're going back and forth down this field, and it comes to the last point. Who is going to win this game? These different balls have been rotating in and out, and for the last round, someone opens a cooler and pulls out an octopus. I can't make it up. This is my biggest fear in all of my life, our octopi. I have some irrational fear, and here comes an octopi, and my team is driving down the field, and I'm standing on a chair holding a basket, and all of a sudden, this scene takes place where an octopus goes flying through the air, and I'm standing on this chair, and there's this guy standing in front of me trying to block this octopus to win it, and I want glory. And so the next picture goes, reach over, catch this octopus. The crowd goes crazy. We win the game, uh, true glory, in defeating my biggest fear, octopi. So Salt Company Dubuque's going great. You guys should bring your connection group some Wednesday night. It'll be a lot of fun to worship with you guys. But tonight we're continuing our series called The Adventures in Babylon. The Adventures in Babylon. We're in the book of Daniel. And one commentator I was reading this week, he was filling us in on why Daniel was writing this letter in the 6th century B.C. And he said this, Daniel's writing to inject courage into God's exiled people from the city of Jerusalem. And he's saying, God is at work, but we await a better king and a better kingdom. And tonight's sermon is titled, Fellowship in the Fire. Fellowship in the Fire. And the big idea tonight in Daniel chapter 3 isn't, isn't actually about the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as much as it is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God who walks with them through the fiery furnace. So if you have your Bible, we're going to open up in Daniel chapter 3, picking up in verse 14. We're going to have a pretty big chunk of scripture, but I think it's important that we get the full context of what's going on. This is God's word to us tonight. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden statue I set up? Now, if you're ready, 
When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is it that the God can rescue you from my power? Here's the context. Before this, the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, in his empire of the Babylonians, he has built a 90-foot gold statue. And he's having every nation and every people group come before this statue and bow down and worship it. And we're introduced to three people. So if you're here with two friends, link arms with two friends. All right, so you're in the middle, link arm with two friends. And there's three of you. Yeah, there's three of you. And you are coming before the most important person in the world. All right, you guys get it? You guys are linked arms for sure. This isn't three people. This is like 400 people going into the... But imagine you are going with your two closest friends and you are coming before this totalitarian leader and he's telling you, you must bow down to my God or else. The fiery furnace. And we continue. How are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going to react? said they replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, O king. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. How's this king going to react? says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. And the expression on his face, it actually changed toward these three friends. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than what was customary. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of the blazing fire. And so these men and their trousers, their robes, their head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. End of the story? Is that where we end? Well, these three friends, they stood up to the king, and now they got thrown into this fire. Well, close your Bible, salt company, go home. Good sermon, huh? How does it continue? Since the king's command was so urgent, the furnace, extremely hot, the raging flames, they actually killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound in to the furnace of the blazing fire. But then, then King Nebuchadnezzar, he jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Simple math, didn't we throw three men into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. But he exclaimed, look, I don't see three men, but I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth, 
looks like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and called out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the Most High God, come out. And so the three friends came out of the fire. And all of the king's advisors gathered around and they saw that the fire actually had no effect on these men. Not a hair on their head was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he went from being filled with rage to look at his expression now. It said he exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. He said they even violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any other god and accept, accept their own God. And then the king gets really audacious. And he says, Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and, how, and their house will be made a garbage dump. For there is no God who is able to deliver like this. Our first stop tonight is going to be the power of pressure. The power of pressure. And people, we are naturally bent to compromising our convictions while under the pressure of crowds and movements. And this is maybe clearest in middle school. Uh, was anyone here actually cool in middle school? All right, if you raise your hand, that certainly means you weren't cool in middle school. All right, that's the time where everyone is trying to figure out who they are. And then emerges a couple cool people who, who kind of act as the authority structures of all middle school movements. For me, it was Anthony. Right, puberty early, he was cool. He knew how to say more than 10 words to girls. Anthony was our authority. And he had a great idea in sixth grade. Our first year in the new building with the big, bad seventh and eighth graders. He rallied the troops and he said, guys, we should do a dance at the next school assembly. And the dance... It's from a song called Double Dream Hands, and we ought to wear yellow polos with khakis. So here I am, a sixth grader, and I have a decision to make. I can either acknowledge I was not made to dance and avoid being made a fool in front of all of the school, or two, I can succumb to the authority structure of the sixth grade Anthony. The outcome? I danced. It was bad. And it was not nearly as funny as us sixth grade boys planned it to be. We compromise under the power of pressure. And Daniel's friends aren't any different, their, their, their culture is not any different, our world's not any different, we're actually past middle school, 
We're, we're almost more easily compromised, and we have higher responsibilities when we do compromise. But for Daniel's friends, we got to know this about the text. They're not actually being forced to abandon their God. Rather, they are to worship the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar in public. That means in private, they could keep their God. Right? They could keep their God as long as they don't claim this is the one true God. And so the tension of this text is less, will they abandon God? But rather, the, the tension of this text is will they defy the first commandment of the Ten Commandments and worship any other God besides their God? And if I'm in their shoes, if we're linked arms with our buddies coming before this king, I, I think there's a, a couple possible excuses they could have made. Right? One excuse these guys could have made was, well, just once, just once we'll bow down. Right? In public, we'll bow down. It's not a big deal. In private, like we'll worship God. But we don't want to be noticed, so we will come bow in front of all of this culture and all of this movement. We will bow just once. It's not a big deal. Or another excuse they could have made is, well, we don't want to ruin our witness. We don't want to ruin our witness. And so these are three young men who actually started to get some authority in the king's court. They had rose to a little bit of power in this Babylonian empire, and they could have easily said, if we don't bow to their gods, how will they ever listen to our God? How will they ever come before our God? And I think in this way, Babylon's not all that much different than Iowa City. Here's what I mean by that. It's very easy to live a life where we worship God in private. Or we worship God in a safe environment like Salt Company. But in public, it's very easy to worship the man-made gods of Iowa City. See, people are usually okay with you worshiping God in private. But they're much less okay if your one true God affects your real life in public, meaning your weekends and your relationships and your grades. And this is most clearly seen in the freshman's Halloween weekend. Any freshmen out there? Yeah. Heck yeah. Halloween weekend, right? High school friends come into town. You get to put on a costume, decide who you want to be for the weekend. And for me, I listened to Cole's sermon, and I was actually more of the friend he was talking about. That was more me my, my freshman year. And these possible excuses of, well, just once. Just once, is it that big of a deal? Right, for me, it's like, I'll go to Union but I'll be at church on Sunday. Externally sure, I, I might look like the rest of Iowa City. Like you won't really pick me out. I, I'm just going along with the rhythms. But internally, internally, I'm going to be strong enough to worship God. I remember having this conversation with myself in my head. 
or the possible excuse, well, we don't want to ruin our witness. I had just become a Christian, accepted Jesus as my Lord my first semester at the University of Iowa. And I wanted all of my friends to come to know Jesus. I'll just go along with them. But I won't succumb to the pressures. Here is the outcome. My intentions of sharing the gospel actually fell short. And I kept God back in my dorm room, and me and my costume-wearing buddies went out and worshipped the man-made gods of Iowa City. Dear freshman, man, this would be a great time to just put your stake in the ground and say there's one true God. Stop number two tonight is genuine faith in action. Genuine faith in action. And here's, here's a question I have for you. Have you ever loved someone for what they can give you? Or maybe a little more serious, have you ever loved God, but only for what he could provide for you? Look with me in verse 17. It says, if the God we serve exists, this is the three friends, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. I love verse 18. If you have your pen in your Bible, underline this first part of verse 18. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. It says, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, king, that we will not worship or serve your gods. And we will trust and love the most high God. See, here's what they're saying. We trust God can rescue us, right? They're getting thrown in the fire, and here's what they're saying. We know God is all-powerful. We know God is rescuer. We know God is creator. God is healer. We know that Jesus has laid his hands on people, and they have gotten up and walked. We know God can rescue us. But so beautifully, but if not... But if not, we trust and love God for himself and not what he can provide for us. We can treat God as a cosmic vending machine. God's this cosmic vending machine where we can go, God, I pray, I seek, I ask, I knock, I want, I want blank plus blank, plus blank, plus blank, and I want you, God, and then I will be satisfied. Or you could say, God, I seek you in providing a a dating relationship for me. God, plus good grades in my upcoming chemistry test. Plus, God, don't let my worst nightmare happen to me in my life. Plus, God, I want you as well. And then I will be satisfied. But I have a friend in my life who has taught me substantially about the but if not God kind of faith. And this friend 
we were sophomores, and we were in D group together. And guys, I just want to acknowledge a lot of you guys come in with a lot of different family issues. There's a wide spectrum. And man, I, I do pray that the Lord would give you wisdom and love to, to speak into those situations. But my friend, he, his, his family thing that was going on kind of took a new form. And, and his mom had cancer. And every few weeks, we would get updates from our friend. And we would pray with him. And we would pray that God would rescue her, that he would deliver good news from the doctors. And these are all very valid prayers. Right? God tells us to ask, and we know God delights in healing his people. But the months went on. And her cancer wasn't ever fully cured. And we prayed. And my friend specifically prayed more than anyone I know. And by the spring, his mom had passed away. And he preached a sermon to our youth last year that I'll never forget. And I remember him saying, I asked God for a good thing and for what I desired, but God only gives us what's best. He said, I wanted 40 more years with my mom. But what happened is God actually saved his mom in the last six months of her life, and she'll spend the next 40 million plus years with her Savior. And I'll never forget that example that my friend has spoken into my life, the but if not, God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here they are. They love God for himself, not for what he can provide for them, but only for them, only for God. And and this makes sense for humans too, right? This loving people for themselves, not what they can provide. I'm married. I, my wife's back there. She's, she's a beautiful woman. I love her to death. But imagine I come home from work, or I come home today, and my wife, she's like, hey, babe. And I'm like, hey. And she's like, I love you for your looks and your money. <laughs> Well, one, she would be really let down. <laughs> and two, what happens when I can't, when I actually don't provide those for her? Right, I'm getting older. My bank account isn't that thick. What happens when I don't provide those for her? Our relationship would be merely transactional. It, it wouldn't be relational. And Salt Company, I want you to know that your prayers are valid. But I'm not telling us not to ask God for these things. But if you don't get that perfect dating relationship, or you don't get that A++ on your next chemistry test, or your worst nightmare that you fear actually comes true, will we still say, But if not, God. 
And maybe here's a really practical step tonight. Is maybe this week when you're meditating on, on your prayer life, maybe we can change our language from, from God plus blank plus blank equals then I will be satisfied. God, I want all these things. I want you sprinkled in there, but I want all of these things and then I will be satisfied. And we actually change our prayers to, but if not, God, dot, 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 I will be satisfied in you. How Jesus teaches us how to pray. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And our stop number three, observation number three, is the promises through suffering. We started, the big idea was this isn't actually as much a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as it is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God who walks with them through the fiery furnace. In 1 Peter 4, if you have it, Peter, he's writing, and he says this. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. And so we see throughout the whole biblical narrative in Scripture that furnaces and fire usually represent trials and tribulations. He's saying, don't be surprised. Furnaces are ahead. And we see Jesus in John 16 where he says, in this world you will suffer. He's saying, you will have furnaces ahead of you. We see elsewhere in 1 Peter 1, where Peter, he says this. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What happens to gold when it goes through fire? It comes out refined. It comes out purified. It comes out more beautiful than it's ever been. What he's saying is, our furnaces... Our fiery ordeals, our sufferings in this life ought to propel us to honor and glorify the revelation that Jesus Christ has come. So let me ask you this. How can we, God, how can we love and trust God for himself through your furnaces ahead? How do we bring this but if not kind of faith? We have to see Jesus in the fire with us. Look with me in Daniel 3, verses 25 and 26. Nebuchadnezzar, he exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied up, but walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth, he doesn't even have words to describe what he looks like. The fourth looks like, like a son of the gods. Who is the fourth man in the fire? 
Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have words to describe it. We could go as far to say maybe this is the pre-incarnate Christ showing himself in the Old Testament scriptures, coming with his people. We could get into that whole thing. But we know for sure that God is sending a rescuer to his people in the fire. And here's the thing, Salt Company. No other religion or philosophy or self-help strategy would claim something so scandalous, yet so sacrificial. That God himself would not spare the ultimate furnace from his beloved son on the, on the cross outside of the city of Jerusalem. Some 600 years after this was written. For all of the man-made gods that we've bowed to, Lord knows that I have bowed to in my life. God has torn down the power and the claim of these things in our life. And he has walked out of the furnace and he is alive today. See, Jesus, he, he didn't suffer so that you wouldn't suffer in this life. Jesus paid the ultimate suffering so that in your suffering, you would know he has been there and he is with you. And here's the thing, God may not rescue you from the fire. But he will always be with you through the fire. Have you been in that fiery furnace? And you've wondered why? Why, God? Why me? Or maybe you're in that fiery furnace currently. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's just failing relationships that are crumbling left and right in your life and you don't know how to handle these things. Maybe it's just you're anxiously crippled by the unknown of your future. Wondering, is anyone with me? Is anyone with me through this? Take heart. Take heart because God is at work. <clears throat> the king we awaited has come. Jesus is in the furnace. He's walking with you. He's already been there. And he will hold your hand every single day of your life. Whatever you are going through, he will bring you through. And he will refine you. And he will purify you. And he will present you more beautiful in his image as you bear the sufferings of Christ on your life. And I think King Nebuchadnezzar, he ends us with an almost prophetic word that he doesn't even know he's probably being prophetic about. But in verse 29, he ends us like this. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. You guys pray with me. Lord, we declare that.
to be true. There is no God who is able to deliver like you. And a lot of us come into this room with heavy hearts. Lord, we've been through things and we will go through things and are currently walking through things. And we have the question, is anyone with me through this fire? Does anyone see what I'm actually going through? Does anyone know the agony deep inside of my life? And we see how you show up. That you have walked through the fiery furnace with us. You've paid the ultimate cost on Calvary. Lord, you've stepped out of the grave and you are saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, may we take heart, take comfort, knowing that our suffering isn't for nothing, our pain isn't invalid, but in all things we declare, Lord, we have no deliverer like you. We run to you, we worship you with all that we have, Lord.